all of my kids are my own kids and they're all my real kids and you know and I think that's just maybe wordsmithing and I know people ask that with good intentions and they're not trying to be insensitive but think about what my kids feel like when they hear you say oh are they your real kids or are they your your own yep you're listening to upside down a podcast on spirituality and culture no topic is off limits so join us for unscripted conversations on god's upside down kingdom Welcome to episode 35 of Upside Down Podcast. I am going to be leading our conversation today. I'm Kayla Craig, and we're pretty excited about this episode because it kind of feels like getting coffee together. And we, all three of us co-hosts, live in different different areas, so we don't get to see each other as often as we would like. But even though we're you know recording at the digital table, it's all three of us in just us. And that hasn't happened in a while. Shannon had to go have a baby. <laughs> so inconvenient. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> so Shannon Evans and Lindsay Wallace are my friends and my co-hosts. And I'm really excited to have a conversation today with them about adoption. All of us are adoptive moms and together Lindsay figured it out because she's better at math than me. But together we have 13 <laughs> Teen kids, which we have more than a dozen children. <laughs> what is life? What is life? <laughs> and six adopted, right? Is that what we said? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And six of them were adopted. So between us, we've done foster care, we've done international adoption, and we've done domestic adoption. So none of us are adoption experts by any means, but we are kind of living the reality of what it means to be a family that's just built in a way that a lot of families aren't built. And a lot of listeners have reached out to us asking to talk more about adoption. And we get a lot of Instagram messages and Facebook messages and emails. And we just want to let you guys know that we love you and we love that you want to know more about this. And so we thought, well, let's just get together and record another episode. (laughs) So if you haven't listened to the first one, go on back and in podcast years, it was like a million years ago, but really it was only like one and a half. It does feel like forever ago. I I don't know if you guys ever listen to old episodes. I do not because... God knows that I do not want to hear myself. But Lindsay, I think you did listen to that episode <laughs> to prepare for this one, right? It. Yep, I did. And you did it. So it for, can you tell our listeners what to, like, if they're looking for certain things, what they'll hear in that episode, maybe to give them yeah. a primer one? Sure. So that one, we kind of um, couched it more as a pre-adoption episode. So we talked more about the different types of adoption and how one would begin that journey, what that looks like, what it might cost, the process, kind of those what to expect type things. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a an hour-long episode, so we crammed quite a bit in, but as always, didn't get to talk about everything that we wanted to. So here we are again. So this is like the after show, right? Like this is like after adoption. (laughs) (laughs) And and we hope that, you know, all of you, whether you're parents or thinking about adoption or not, it's just a a question that a lot of people have asked us about, whether they're single, whether they're a parent with biological kids, whether they're, they're married with no kids. It just seems to be, you know a conversation that people are interested in having. It's a little outside the norm, but then I think a lot of people don't know exactly how 
how to get some of this information. So consider this kind of your insider invitation <laughs> to, to three moms at, as we talk about um, adoption in, in our own lives, in our own family's journey. So Shannon and Lindsay are in the hot seats. How do you what? describe? I thought it was round table. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not answering any questions. Is this a conversation? I'm confused. <laughs> this is an unscripted conversation between Lindsay and Shannon. Oh, my God. <laughs> so diving in, this is kind of, yeah, we'll start with this. We have lots of questions. Do any of you have open adoptions? That's an easy question. That's a yes or no. Yes. Yeah, I think Lindsay's the only one. Lindsay, I'll let you share, and then I'll share kind of what our situation is like for okay. um, for one of our kiddos. Yeah, so this question came up quite a bit. Um, I think the first thing I want to say about open adoption is it's a spectrum. So yes. for some people, that means they set up a specific email and they share pictures with the birth family fairly infrequently. And then the spectrum obviously goes all the way to we hang out all the time and we love each other and we're one big happy family. So our situation is in the middle of that, I would say. So we do, um, we had a relationship with um, my son's birth mom prior to our adoption. And so continued that. And that was um, through foster care. care, Although our situation is kind of weird because usually you don't know the birth, like you're the birth parents in a foster care situation. So also I should say in each of our individual interviews that we did way back at the beginning, we shared quite a bit more about the details of our stories. So that'd be helpful for people who are super interested to go back and listen to. But anyway, we have open adoption, um, and for us, it's in the middle. So we do visit with our boys' um, first mom and share pictures and letters and birthday presents and those kinds of things. Um, there are members of their birth family that we have chosen not to be in relationship with. And that is for just the general safety and health of our kiddos and feeling like those particular members of the family um, were either not healthy or were triggering for our kids. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, I think that whole dynamic of how to navigate that and how to discern that is um, weighs really heavily on a lot of, a lot of adoptive parents. Um, And for us, that's just kind of where we've landed and we'll continue to navigate as they get older, you know, um, mm-hmm. and have more questions and more, you know, maybe more desires to see or less desire to see, or, you know, I mean, they're, they're individual people, so they have their own thoughts and feelings. And so we just continue to kind of navigate like what's the best for them in this particular season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I just, it just occurred to yeah. me, maybe it would be helpful for people to hear the ages of the kids that we have. Oh, that changes things. Um, yeah, for sure. So I have five kids. They are, I don't know the easiest way to explain it. So <laughs> they're 10, 9, 8, 7, and 5. I thought you were it's, just going to keep counting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 10 and the 8-year-old are biological brothers who were adopted from foster care. And they are who I was speaking of in terms of open adoption. The five-year-old was adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah. So that's our, mm-hmm. and then the other two biological. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
I'll tell you what everybody tells me. Oh, you must have such a quiet house. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first to never dull moment. Yeah. Um, this is Shannon, and I, my oldest is our adopted who just turned eight, and then my biological boys are under that. Okay. Yeah. And I'm Kayla, and we have four kiddos too. And our oldest uh, is seven and a half. And I know this because on February 15th, it was his half birthday, and he has, so he has an August birthday. And the, <laughs> the teacher let me know that day that it was his half birthday when they bring treats. Um, of course, I did not know this. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, like running to the store. But it was a great because I got clearance Valentine's cookies. Oh, favorite kind of like, you know, the loft house style cookies yeah. that are like the fluffy white filled with sugar totally. with like more sugar on top and then more sugar on top <laughs> of that. So I got a really good deal on those and was like, here you go, kids. Have fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> all of that to say, he's our seven and a half year old and he's very proud of that half oh, year. Like, he's really you know this is a big deal for him then we have an almost five-year-old biological we have a two-year-old that was a domestic adoption joined our family when she was three weeks old and then we have an almost two-year-old biological son so um with the the two-year-old she joined us when she was three weeks old and through her um policing agency we were able to communicate a bit through letters and pictures um and it, so i don't know if that would probably qualify as some sort of semi-open um but i do know some of that communication is something that we will treasure for her um even though we don't we're not really able to communicate with her any any more than that um it's something that's really special and something that you know my our daughter is black she's she knows you know like it's a we, you can't say oh you weren't adopted and so that's something important to us to be able to have and to give to her um and hopefully be a be a special a special thing for her to have someday mm -hmm. so yeah for sure and with um with international adoptions, I don't are there any international adoptions that are open that you know of? Or is that something that exists? Yeah, I have a friend who um there's his there's his open and they Skype frequently <laughs> with the birth family. Um and ours again would be very, very low key semi open. We don't have communication anymore, but we did meet um a family member at the time. So yeah, so when I, I think what a lot of people mean when they ask, I mean, some people are just genuinely curious, like in people who are in the pre-adoption state, but I, I think there's this sense of like, of fear mm. surrounding the topic yeah. of open adoption in the sense of like, I mean, we've all heard horror stories, right? right. Um, so I think there's this like kind of what if sense of fear. Um. And like Kayla said, kind of at the beginning, we're not experts, but I just thinking through the adult adoptees that I know, and I know several, I've never met an adult adoptee who has said, I wish my parents would not have kept in touch with my birth family. Right. You know, like there's always that sense of wanting to yeah. know where do I belong? Who do I look like? Where did my nose come from? Where did my laugh come from? Where did my skin come from? You know, like there's just that, that innate longing that we have as humans. And I think it's Dr. Purvis who talks about 
kids losing their birth families as a primal wound. And so there's just, there's that longing there. And I think for some people it's not safe. So I'm not advocating, you know, at all costs, but I think, um, yeah, just thinking about the adult adoptees that I know, there's always that sense of just appreciation for knowing, you know, who those Mm -hmm. people are and, and yeah, where they come from. I really, really value the voice of adult adoptees, even when hearing certain things are hard, you know, Mm -hmm. and hearing hard things, but, you know, I think as adoptive parents, if we don't listen to people who have experienced what our kids are experiencing, even if the stories are different, which like Lindsay said, every story is different, but if we're not listening, we're just doing a disservice to our kids. Like we're, (laughs) as parents, we want our kids to be healthy. Right. And so... Yeah. And they're the people yeah. who have the authority to speak into the, what we're right. doing as parents. Like, I mean, I've disagreed with counselors and therapists before on this very topic. And and it's because I hold very highly the opinion of adult adoptees because I think they have the experience and the authority to speak into where, like, I, I respect the fact that you went to school and learned how to do this and you're really good at it. But you that doesn't always mean that person knows what's mm-hmm. best, mm-hmm. you know? So I think listening to adult adoptees is really, really yeah. important. So what do you wish people knew about attachment? Attachment is a big word that we hear a lot and use a lot in, in adoption. What do you wish people knew or what was like your biggest learning curve coming to be an adoptive family and thinking about attachment, attachment styles, all of that? I think it's, well, I guess this is what I should say. What I wish all adoptive parents could know going into it is that it's um, a a long process. It's longer than the three-month cocoon period that is recommended. You know, that that period is important, Mm -hmm. but that it it will likely be... um, a much longer process than that. And it's, it's certainly something that you will always have to keep in mind, even if you have a, a really healthy attachment. Um, but just because of like what you said, that primal wound, um, it is a little bit different than, than thinking about your attachment with your biological children. Um, and also that, you know, we hear about these certain attachment styles and that's certainly true. But I think a lot of times people are like, oh, does your son have reactive attachment disorder? And he does not. But that doesn't mean attachment hasn't been a difficult thing for us in in several ways, you know, and like it's so it's, there are these certain attachment styles, but with adoption, I think that it can also be a spectrum, you know, everything is sort of gray and attachment. And so I, I wish that people knew that too, of, um, Thankfully, we don't have this this certain diagnosis that is more serious, but at the same time, it's been something that we've consistently had to work on a lot in our family. I think that's interesting that you talked about attachment styles because we all have our own attachment styles. And that was like a light bulb bo- moment for me as I was learning about this is this is not like only adopted kids have attachment styles. Like every human has an attachment style based on what we experienced and and when we were born and how we were raised. And that was a really like aha moment for me. Like, Oh, what is, 
I have to do some of that work myself, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm going to raise a child and this is something, you know, some of these things we'll touch on. We have a a upcoming episode where we're going to be talking about mental health. Um, and we, and we talk about as, and you know, you'll hear us talk about how as a parent, we have to be aware of our Mm -hmm. own stuff before we can, you know, enter into that stuff with our kids. And so that has been something that's really helpful for me. Yeah. I echo what both of you said. I guess just from my personal experience, I would say I think we put there's a lot of presumption in the adoption community, um, or at least this used to be the case that like, well, if I adopt a baby, then they haven't experienced any trauma, air quotes. um, So then attachment will be easy. Or, you know, if I adopt an older child, will it be harder? Or if they come from XYZ situation, or if they come from an orphanage or whatever. And um, we, and our experience was very different, drastically different. And so just, you know, to be honest, like when we were in foster care, the first two years of that experience were pretty much just hell (laughs) from an attachment perspective, from like a mental health perspective, from everybody feeling safe and healthy. It was really, really hard. And then um, I would talk to other families who had adopted or done foster care. And when the, you know, the whole attachment thing would come up, people would say things to me like, oh, well, it was just like my biological babies in the hospital and they laid them on my chest. That's exactly how I felt. And I would look at people like they had three eyeballs. And I honestly, I thought they were lying to me. I just thought there's no way, like there's no way that it was that easy for you because Mm -hmm. I know what it's like at my house. And then we adopted a second time or a third child. And it was that instantaneous. It was immediate. And so that really gave gave me a lot of perspective and helped me um, be more sympathetic to other people and not as judgmental because every kid is different. And like Kayla was talking about, even as adults, like we have attachment styles and it's a two way street. It's not just, Oh, this kid has to attach to me. No, you also have Mm -hmm. to attach to them because you didn't do all of those bonding things that you if you have biological children that you did with them as infants, there wasn't that like nine month period of even getting to know Mm -hmm. them while they were in your womb, you know? So I think it's important to realize that it's so individual and you can't make assumptions based on what you think you know about the child's background or how old they were or any of, any of those things that you might read on paper before they come to you. Yeah. It feels like parenting. I mean, I know this to be true is so humbling. And then if you're an adoptive parent, it's like an extra layer of humble yeah, pie for you. I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you, you have to like lay yeah, down all of those presumptions or stereotypes or what yeah. you think you know and enter into what is mm-hmm. not what you think, <laughs> you know? And, that, and that's yeah. good. And it's like, a, it's, there's a, you know, a spiritual component to that, that I have felt like a sanctifying almost component where I, I see how God sees me sometimes. And as I'm parenting my children and learning and and growing and kind of being on that trajectory. Um, Yeah. It's, it's really interesting and we can't put, put people in a box. Like we can't say all 
domestic adoptions are this way or, oh, all international adoption kids are going to have X, Y, and Z. And we just have to let that go. And and we kind of have to be okay with other people not knowing and being okay with that too. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that don't understand and we can't make them understand always. And so there is that aspect of just being like, okay, like I know that this is true. And, and also I'd love to hear you guys, how you steward your own stories. You know, we're here, we're recording an episode that is going on the internet that anybody could listen to. How do you Mm -hmm. steward your children's private Mm -hmm. personal stories? Well, well, you know, obviously we're talking about this. (laughs) So how, how do you do that? How do you balance that? I don't think there's a perfect answer, you know. I think, you know, this is something that the three of us definitely talk about from time to time just in our personal lives. I think it's sort of trying your best as you go, you know. And I think um, what might feel peaceful and right to one person, to one parent, feels like too much to another parent or feels um, like too little to maybe somebody else, you know. I think that there's um, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of of, uh, room for an individual family's discernment. Um, for me, at, it has changed as he's gotten older. Um, I will say that I'm, I'm less willing to share things now. I don't know if that's just because, um, I am more aware of how aware he is. And I, and as he gets closer to teenage years and adulthood and like using the internet, <laughs> then I'm like, oh man, like I want to, to really be careful with how I'm um, presenting him or presenting our family. Um, but at the same time, if no one's talking about real, real things, then no one's going to be prepared for it. And I don't want to put other parents in that position either. I think that's really important. So for me, it's just kind of this constant balance and seeking wisdom and discernment as I'm sharing my experience. Yeah, I agree. I think the only thing maybe that I kind of think through that might be a little different is, is this a conversation? Like, would I have this kind of open conversation with Mm. my kid? You know, like, would I, would I, would I have this same interaction with them or in front of them? And if not, then obviously that's not something I should be sharing with other people. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. It's been helpful. But even like you said, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's, it's hard and I'm sure I've yeah, aired right. on both sides, you know, in the past and a constant mm-hmm. reevaluating. Shannon, to, to your point of feeling like you don't want to lead parents astray. I, I just kind of feel like it's not my job to inform people about yeah. private things. You know what I mean? Like that's not my duty. And so I think we kind of live in this, this is like a, maybe this is a hold our, hold my earrings <laughs> thing, <laughs> which is the way we, we um, said is going to be kind of our, our new segment where we uh, share. But I just feel like we have, I've seen, and I have really had to have a heart check in my own life, but kind of this idea mm-hmm. of oversharing. And is this something that's better to talk to a trusted friend or write in a journal? Or are we processing by posting something immediately on the internet. And I think that is something I have really had to, to think about and have kind of heart work done um, to my, to my own self. That's something I've, I've been, you know, thinking a lot about, like, these are our 
children's mm-hmm. personal stories. And and Lindsay, what you said about would I say this in front of my kid, sometimes people will ask, and I'm sure I know that people have asked you guys inappropriate oh, questions yeah. in front of your children. Mm-hmm. So what are oh. some of those questions and how do you answer them? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I think the most, like the one that kind of takes the cake is like, the general, like, where did they come from? Or, you know, just kind of that, like, inquisitive, whatever. And I usually say, that's part of their story, and they're not ready to share. If it's somebody who, I mean, a lot of times we get questions from their peers, right? Like other kids want to know more of their story. And I try to, if I hear, like, I kind of keep my ears very open and stay close by when maybe my kids are meeting new kids for the first time Mm -hmm. or we're, you know, in public or something, because I want to, I want to reinforce in my kids that their story is theirs to share and they don't have to share it just because someone asks them Mm -hmm. about it. And so I will oftentimes interject and just say like, Oh, well that's his story or that's her story. And she's not ready to share that. Or, if there's, if I, if I can like pull my kid aside, I just would say like, you know, you don't have to share that part of your story or you can, if you want to, it's totally up to you, you know, just try to make it like give them the power that it is their story. It's theirs to tell or not mm-hmm. tell. And that that's totally up to them. Yeah. And for them not to feel shame to like, to not, to not in that moment as a mom, like overreact and say, they don't need to talk about it, you know, and then have your child feel like what what you know what I mean like what I can't talk about being adopted and so it's a really hard place to navigate Lindsay so it sounds like you have a good kind of system in place for that and the funny thing is I have to remind my kids of it too because they'll try to share each other's stories (laughs) and so I have to remind them because we have a lot of stories in our family you know so I have to remind them too like hey that's not your story to share as far as like what questions people have asked in front of my kids I will say that they ask a lot fewer questions now that he's older than, um, than they did when they, when people would perceive that like he was too young to really understand what they were saying. But three-year-olds can certainly understand what, you know, I mean, I, I understand if it's like a baby and someone's asking, but, um, I would always, I would feel like, is this ever going to end? Like he clearly understands, you know, he's, he's listening to this conversation. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but in their minds, like, oh, he's a toddler. He's not paying attention, you know? Um, so the questions have definitely decreased as he's gotten older. And that, that has been a huge relief because like, I'm sure you guys feel, I love talking about adoption. I will answer um, the questions that are appropriate to answer and have those conversations, but I would rather not do it in front of my child because I don't want them to feel like a spectacle. Um, so, but I feel like most mm. of the questions are, are really well-meaning. It's just, you know, they might be inappropriate in front of the child or it might be um, inappropriate just in general, like Lindsay's saying, like, but, but I don't think that they're, that people are really aware of that until we kind of, shine the light like saying like that's that's actually kind of you know his right. personal story or you know and he's not ready to share it like you said Lindsay um and I think that kind of like yeah you know brings it back to people like oh yeah that that probably wasn't the right question to ask or you know mm-hmm. yeah I agree I think most people are you know they're not ill-willed they just don't know 
how to ask or they don't realize that it's inappropriate. Right. Or that it's just private. You know, I feel like there's a lot right. of interest about, we, we talk about like birth triad and about birth parents. And so what happened to his birth mom or his yes. real parents, which obviously I feel like we don't really need to go into yeah. this real parents <laughs> type of language. But um, yeah, some, some questions are just not, not appropriate at all. And we have to kind of have that awkward like stance of, well, that's not a thing that we talk about or, you know, kind of pivot the situation or the the conversation because out of respect for our children's first families, you know, like that's their story Mm -hmm. too. Like we don't need to be telling that to the person at the grocery store that is, you know, just kind of nosy for information, you know, like, right. Right. Let's just talk about the the (laughs) grapes. Keep it to the grapes lady. No, I had I had someone ask me in front of my child one time, like, where is he from? Which I'm comfortable saying, like, um, he's Ugandan or he was born in Uganda or things like that, because I want him to feel a sense of pride and, you know, about that. Um, but then they said, oh, gosh, is it still really bad there? <laughs> like, I didn't even, you guys, I didn't even know how to respond. I was like, um it's a really beautiful country. We love it so much. <laughs> it was just, and, and for you, I, because of the, the war, because of the child soldiers and the war and, you know, and that got a lot of publicity and, you know, that is a conversation we could have privately. That's right. like something that came to mind when I was saying, but, you know, clearly there's like a chip missing if, if oh somebody says that in front of my child, but. <laughs> a chip missing. <laughs> I think I would have been like, well, when was the last time you visited? (laughs) Because people make comments like that. They have no idea what they're talking about. I just would have been like a smart aleck and... So on that on that topic, do you have any other hold my earrings moments? Here we go, guys. It's happening. Get on your soapboxes. That's your chance. Do it now or forever hold your peace. This is an old one, but I'll I'll go with it because this is kind of what I was thinking of when I said that comment um so before well no not even I don't know so people will often say if you're doing foster care well why don't you adopt a kid from overseas there's so much need there's so many kids over there and if you're adopting internationally people will say well why don't you do foster care because there's so many kids here and I actually had some people used to say that to me often Um, when I guess it was probably before our daughter was home and we were in the process of adopting internationally, but obviously people don't know that just by looking at us. And so my response used to be, Oh, well, how many kids have you adopted? (laughs) It was clearly like, you don't know what you're talking about. Number one. And number two, if you're not in, this is another Brene Brown quote, I think, but she got it from Theodore Roosevelt. If you're not in the ring getting your you-know-what kicked, like, don't tell me how to mm-hmm. fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is kind of the just, mm. I totally butchered that. But, um, like, if you're not also in the don't ring criticize. doing this really hard work, right. then don't judge the way that I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that just used to drive me crazy because people would always want to throw whatever one you're not doing. People want to know, well, like, what about the other one? What and why is that too? Like, what are the like? I would just love to unpack that. Like, why that happens? 
I really think because people feel guilty because they, I really do think this is what it is. They're not doing something. They're not actively involved in remediating the orphan care crisis or whatever the case may be. And so Mm -hmm. they're just pointing out how you're not Mm -hmm. doing it right. But the reality is there's this deep sense of like, oh, I'm actually not doing Mm -hmm. crap. (laughs) I do think that there is some of that, that guilt. I just want to say like for listeners, there is a difference between like sincerely asking about the different paths of adoption or the different forms. That's not what we're talking about. You know, I think, yeah, just, just in case people are like, Oh gosh, have I done that? You probably have not. If you're asking asking. that question, it's, it's, it's more of a, um, it's there's, there's underlying things going on. It's not a sincere Mm. question. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the people who are like, well, why don't you do foster care? There are kids in my own backyard who need family. And there's, I mean, to be fair, that's a common thing. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people say that, you know, like it's not a couple on the fringe. Mm -hmm. Like I've heard it adopting internationally and then, you know, as adopting domestic, then there people would say, well, why is it so expensive? Why would you do that if it's so expensive? And another thing that people have brought up to us is, well, can't you have your own babies? Can't you have your own kids? And that really (laughs) bothers me Mm -hmm. because first of all, if we were struggling in that tender spot of infertility what an awful thing to say to somebody you know what I mean like that's so insensitive and inappropriate and second it's just making a giant assumption that the only reason that you should adopt is because you are unable to have biological kids and that's not true and it happens to me all the time and it it really throws people for a loop because we adopted our daughter when I was pregnant with my son and that really confuses people and thinks that and makes people think that we must have accidentally fallen into that adoption because why in the world would we adopt while we were cooking a baby (laughs) on our own and I think you know it's confusing it's not a thing that typically happens but everyone (laughs) that I meet well, they usually ask me how many kids I have. And then they say, oh, that happened to somebody I know. They started adopting and then they got pregnant. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. What? And it's just like, I usually just like, oh, like, okay. Like, well, all right. You know, like, no need to correct you. You know, right. what, do you what do you say? But I just think of my friends and family that I love dearly that have, you know, wrestled with that and how that would make them feel to, to hear that. And I just mm-hmm. think that's just, I don't know, like a, a, a lesson in adulting is stop assuming, I think. And especially as people of as yeah. the kingdom, right. As people of faith that if we could just open our eyes a little bit to see, see a bigger picture and see that there are many reasons why children can't stay with their first families and many reasons why people would open their hearts and their families to adoption. And infertility is definitely one path that brings people down the adoption road, but it's not the only reason. Yeah. And the flip side of that too, is they are my own kids. Right. Like all of my kids are my own kids and they're all my real kids. And, you know, and I think that's just maybe wordsmithing. And I know people ask that with good intentions and they're not trying to be insensitive, but think about what my kids feel like when they hear you say, Oh, are they your real kids or are they your your own? Mm -hmm. 
Yep. A lot of lingo. And and I think you can kind of see the, there's people that say it and you can see the heart behind what people say. Like all of our, all of what we say is not verbal. And there's a lot of times where they might say your own and totally mean it in a really like, you know, just a gentle, curious way. And they just don't know that, you know, that can have some connotation. And then there's times where it's like people are prodding and, and maybe don't have the greatest heart or intentions behind what they're mm-hmm. saying. And it's especially bad when, you know, we, our three-year-old son was playing and a woman I just met asked me, well, when are you going to have your own kids? And it's just like, he, my, my child is right there. He is my own, you know, and that that's rough mm-hmm. and it's hurtful. You know what I mean? Like the reason why we have big feelings about some of this stuff is because we have skin in the game. Like these are our children. This is our family. And so, you know, words matter. So on that note, what, how do you guys answer the questions that your kids ask you? Do you have a certain question in mind? Oh, I guess I just mean like, um, about their own stories or like if, like, I think all of our kids are a different race than our families. So like kind of things that strangers are also asking. Um, but like when, when your kids ask how, um, mm-hmm. how do you answer your kids in private one-on-one? Yeah. I think as a general rule of thumb, I answer honestly. Mm-hmm. And that might seem like a no-brainer, but I've been in adopt- groups of adoptive parents where that's not always the mm-hmm. case. Um, and so I think, uh, honestly, number one, and then number two, you know, in an age appropriate way and maybe not just age, maybe maturity appropriate Mm -hmm. because there are really hard parts of their stories, but they're, they're their stories. And, um, I don't ever want them to feel like we weren't honest with them and that we broke their trust somehow by not sharing some information that we had whether that's we have a lot or a little so I mean we just we're just really honest with our kiddos Mm -hmm. and with their stories and you know as parents that's hard because you want to shield them from the hard right but but we can't um and I think the more knowledge they have and the more they know about who they are and where they came from like the more opportunity there is for true healing to happen right Um, because we're putting in the light, this is the hard thing that happened to you. This is the hard thing that brought you into our family. But now you're here and we're going to sit in a hard place together for a while. Yeah. You know, they're not alone. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I I know that they're, um, like we said, from listening to adult adoptees, there's a spectrum of like how curious, um, adoptees might be, how much they want to know, how, how comfortable they are with knowing nothing. And Lindsay, I know like, um, we, we each have a boy who is pretty similar and you said that yours talks about his adoption all the time and Mm asks questions all the time. And mine wants nothing to do with any discussion about it. Um, and so, and that's a really hard thing for me as a parent, because I, in my preparation and in the early years, I, you know, I worked so hard. Like I made a life book explaining his story. Like mm-hmm. we got all of these adoption books and it's, it's been so important to us to share 
his story with him um, because of the reasons that you state for greater healing, but it is not something that he's interested in. And so it's something that I've had to submit to him to of like, okay, I will gently bring it up and see if he's ready from time to time. But so far he has been shutting me down. And so I'm saying, you know what, this is your journey. It's your story. I'm here for you, but I'm not going to force it on you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really interesting how it could, it can be like one extreme or the other, and you just don't know what your kid is going to want. Right. And I think that kind of relates to trauma. So that's a word. And we've kind of brought it up a little bit at the beginning of this episode. So is there, do all adopted kids have trauma? Yes. Yeah. And (laughs) if you're willing to share and share, like, you know, we had talked about before in in a very tender and, you know, thoughtful way, how does that look like in your home? Because I think a lot of people who might not know, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so what does that look like, you know, kind of on a a day-to-day basis? Well, first of all, I want to go back to your original question and say, because that can be confusing for people for us to just say, yes, all adopted kids really have trauma. Um, but infants who are adopted, you know, two days after birth, straight home from the hospital, you know, you think about they, they're no longer hearing the, the mother's voice that they've heard for nine months. You know, they've had um, some sort of severed connection in, you know, in the hospital even of, um, not being able to breastfeed from their mother whose voice they heard or, you know, um, a change of smells, you know, what was comforting at the beginning, you know, all of these things that, um, you know, we really take for granted sometimes. Well, I'll say this in some ways we eat up the nine months that we have in the womb with babies and like how precious it is and how we feel like we know them even before they're born, you know, but then Mm -hmm. when it comes to adoption, we forget so quickly all of that connection that we felt during that time. And it's just suddenly like, Oh, they've never known anything different. This is going to be so easy. But the fact is they've had a grief, they've had a loss and they don't have any way to process it. So that's what we say. Um, They have experienced trauma, even straight home from the hospital. Yes. Yeah, and we and we say that not to be like so nobody should adopt. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not oh, yeah. what we're saying at all, but just knowing, you know, to best parent that child, we have to be aware that there has been a loss. Like Lindsay, I don't remember how you said it at the beginning of the episode, but like a, a wound or the pr- it's a yeah, primal wound. Yeah. I think that's yeah. Dr. Purvis's language um is that it's a primal wound. Mhm. I'm really thinking through how to answer this question of what does trauma, like, what does it look like? Because, I mean, we've kind of spoken to this all along. It looks different for everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, And so there's just so much that plays into how um, it manifests itself. And there's genetic components to that. There's, there's just so many different components to what that can look like, um, like in an individual child, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had a really great metaphor, but I don't. So I'm going to think yeah. about it. <laughs> well, we had a listener question and this is what they submitted. They said, I'd like to hear about the new challenges that arise one year post-adoption and beyond when things are supposed to be normal. 
for the family. I've heard a lot of adoptions fail at the three-year mark. Is there anything that you guys would like to speak into for that? That is so interesting. I haven't actually heard that about the three-year mark, but that is pretty true for that was the hardest point for us. Yeah, I think the first year, you know, there is an element of, um, for some people, there can be a honeymoon period. um, And for some people, they feel more energy for approaching um, difficulty because it is new and they've waited so long, you know, usually. Um, but I think after the first year, a lot of, a lot of, um, maybe even the child's behavior changes as they start to feel like they don't have to perform or, you know, um, or earn, earn approval. There can be a lot of different reasons why, but I do think that, you know, that there might be something to that first year mark, but, um, I, again, it's just all so different for, <laughs> for, for everybody's different circumstances. I mean, between the three of us, I think that we would have probably really different stories. So that's a difficult thing to answer other than I think that challenges the second and third year are very real. And like this, this listener pointed out really normal. Um, and I think it's really important to get help and to get training um, and to, it, it takes a lot of being proactive about seeking out resources available for adoptive families, um, whether that's online or in your community or if it's traveling to conferences. But I think that, that you need a support system, um, not just of well-meaning friends and family, but of people who can really speak into um, this tapestry of a family that you've put together and, and the unique challenges that adoption brings. Yeah. That, I just want to piggyback on that. So when we lived um, in Northwest Iowa, there's a group called Caitlin's Fund. And part of what they do is provide grants to adopting families. The other part of that, that I think is really special and really important and fills a void that is not always filled for adoptive families is a support group that is like, you know, and the idea that maybe mm-hmm. you hear support group and think like AA or something, like it doesn't mean mm-hmm. like there's something bad, actively bad. It means that there are other people who understand and that it's a safe place to process things that non-adoptive families just might not understand, you know? And yeah. I have sat in those rooms and heard stories and just seeing people let those walls come down and process like, I love my child. You know, I would, I would do anything for my child and this is what's happening and seeing that healing, you know, and that hope that comes when you can surround each other. And we did training together and Lindsay has mentioned Dr. Purvis and I just want to share and, and, you know, we'll, we'll share this, um, you know, on our Instagram notes as well, but she's referring to Dr. Karen Purvis and Dr. David Cross and they, um, Dr. Purvis has passed away, but there's now the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development at TCU Texas Christian University. And it's very research-based and it's a holistic model that kind of helps seize the complex complex needs of children and helps them overcome social, behavioral, emotional um, challenges. And I have sat in and done that trust-based relational intervention and learned about the brain and learned about the trauma and 
learned about it with other people whose stories look very different from me. Like there's a family that was, could be my parents are older and they de- had adopted multiple children from Russia and had a totally different experience. And yet we could still look at each other and provide a sense of community and a sense of support and love and hope. And even though some of these kids have gone through some of the worst of the worst, there it's not the end of the story, you know, and there is hard things and the hard things mm-hmm. don't always go away. And Lindsay, I've heard you say sometimes Thank I've you. heard you say um, that sometimes healing doesn't happen this side of heaven and that that is yeah. true and that is real. And sometimes we need to hear that, but there's mm-hmm. hope is mm-hmm. never gone. And, and that has mm-hmm. been so powerful to me and seeing that in a community setting has just been really meaningful to me. So I hope that if there are adoptive parents that are listening, I hope that, you know, like it's not just like you're floating around in this void. (laughs) There's a lot of research that the website has really good videos that are really easy to watch. We don't all have time to sit with 10 books, especially if you're parenting a child from a hard place. You probably don't have time. Like when you need it the most is when you can't do it, right? But but there's those videos that are really easy to digest and you can watch as as few or as many as you can and as you want to and as you have the mind space and availability to. Mm -hmm. But those are really helpful and they're free. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, those are, those are a good first step. That was a lot of stuff. (laughs) I'm trying to balance the whole, how much do you share and wanting people to understand what's about to happen to their family. Um, (laughs) so I think the listener was asking like, kind of what's the long term look like. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, when do things go back to normal? Um, and every story is different. And so this is just ours, but there hasn't ever been a normal. There's a new normal, but there's not ever, Oh, now my family is because your family is different now. Like there's, it's not the same people. It's not going to be the same. And so I think um, the sooner you can get rid of that idea that it's going to go back to normal, maybe the sooner you can move forward towards what your new normal Mm -hmm. looks like. Um, and I think too, I don't know when we were in the process, there were all sorts of different timeframes people would suggest for when things would, I don't know if normal is the right word or just kind of settle down or you would feel some sense of normalcy. Um, and I remember hearing people talk about, well, if they lived in an orphanage for X number of months, like every month equals a year in your, or yeah, a year in your home or a week in your home. I don't know. There's all kinds of different mathematical equations to when your life is going to be normal again. Um, and I would just say for us, like none of that was true. None of it. Um, and I, I'm not going to share my kids' individual stories, but if you just looked on paper the things that my kids have been through, you would expect certain of them, certain ones of my kids to be doing really well and others to not be doing well. And it's that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. Like they're different. They're genetically different. What they went through is different. Every kid experiences and holds trauma differently. Right. And so I think um, just to be totally honest, like we are six years in with, two of our kiddos and there are days that I still wonder, man, 
how how is it we've been doing this for six years and we're still here like this is still where we are today Um, but like I said the sooner you can let that idea go of like your expectation of where because when when you break it down it's really ridiculous right to think that somebody could go through a traumatic event even if we're just talking about separation from first family like forget all the other things that have happened after that like, who are we to say when somebody is going to heal right. from trauma? Yeah, if only like, people that's could not be that easy really... to figure out, then. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right? So, like, I think the sooner we can, like, and this is me personally, I should speak for myself, the sooner I was able to let go, and it's a continual daily process that I'm not actually able to fix mm-hmm. my kids, I'm not actually able to save them or control them or um, therapeutically parent them out yeah. of <laughs> their behaviors and surrender them to the Lord. And and like Kayla was saying, I mean, that for some kids, that healing is not going to come this side of heaven because the world is broken and that's where we're living right now. But we have the hope and we have the ability to continue because we know the one who is able Mm -hmm. to heal them. Um, But I think for me personally, when I was able to let go of that expectation of getting back to normal is when I was really able to fully surrender my kids to the healing that Jesus can do in them that I could never, mm, ever do. So good. I'm so glad you said that, Lindsay, because I I was actually about to jump in um, and say a lot of similar things of like we started parent parenthood with um, this child. And so we had no, we had no previous normal um, as a as a couple with kids. Anyway, we had our own normal, of course. But um, it's it's been seven years, and and like it is never going to be normal in the way that other families are have their normal. Um, and 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 mm-hmm. people who don't understand will will try to console me and be like. Oh, no, no, there is no normal. Like every family has its dysfunction, you know, but I'm like, no, but, but you, but you can take your kid. You don't know yeah, my level yeah. of so I'm, again, trying to like protect my own family's <laughs> privacy. But at the same time, it's like, but there are very basic life things that you're able to do without a fuss that, that my family isn't able to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, without it being pretty difficult. And, and it's so, not their kid. It's not the kid's fault. Like, no, there's a reason why things are harder for them and things are then harder for the family. And so that's something that, you know, adopted parents should know is like, you can't hold animosity towards your child because the child changed your family, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because your family dynamic is different is not uh, at the child is not at fault. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a reason right. behind and there's probably lots of reasons behind it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, yeah, if any, if any, you know, adoptive family is listening and, you know, feeling like we're painting too, too nice of a picture, <laughs> hopefully the last five minutes has, has given a little reality to that because this is, you know, we're, we're real people. We're humans. Like, like weaving together families is not, is not an easy thing to do. Like trauma is not an easy thing um, to overcome and you do it together. But I think that the really, the beautiful thing is that you exchange normal for this entirely um, 
broken way of being before the Lord and before the world. You know, I mean, for me anyway, it has really changed the way that I see um, my neighbor. It's really given me more compassion and understanding, um, given me a greater ability to empathize with people who are struggling because I'm struggling, (laughs) you know? Um, And so it's been such a gift. Mm -hmm. And in the worst moments um, where I can't believe like how sinful and ugly my heart is, I, it's hard to believe that it's, that this much beauty can come out of it. But but then an hour later, I'm like, oh, God, you're so good to me. I can't believe that you've done this in my life. <laughs> you know, so there's um, there's amazing things that come out of that hardship. And I think that's just true. Right. That's like that's how the, the best things that God does in our lives come is through things that are hard. It's never through things that are easy. Yeah. I think one thing I'll add that kind of piggybacks off of what both of you just said is, and and we've said this multiple times, every family is different and it looks different. But I think what Kayla was saying and what you were saying, Shannon, about kind of creating this new normal and how it's not the kid's fault and it's hard and it's sanctifying and it's all these things. I think um, as parents, when it doesn't look like we thought it was going to look, um, we feel guilty about that. And sometimes we don't even admit that it's not going how we thought it would. And so we don't give ourselves permission to like just speak it out loud, just be honest and say, wow, this is not how I thought things were going to go. And then to grieve yeah. like the family that you lost because you yeah. did lose something, you know, like you lost, like you lost just the family that you and your husband had created before you even had kids. And like, that's right. okay to grieve that, you know, the, the loss of freedom and the loss of whatever. And if for families who already had biological kids, like there's a loss of some, what they mm-hmm. called normal before. And I think we do ourselves a disservice and we do our entire family a disservice when we don't allow ourselves to just be honest about that and then to grieve it and be able to, to yeah. move on to the yeah. new. Well, I think we have um, given a lot of, of ourselves and of our families and of our own journeys in this conversation. So thank you, Shannon and Lindsay, for sharing. Um, and, and we hope that those of you who are listening, that maybe this is like your first conversation into adoption. I, I do hope that you will see, you know, everybody is speaking from their own perspective and their own journey and their own highs or lows. And I hope that you will just see that like everything in life, adoption shows us some of the the hardest places and some of the most beautiful mountaintops and and everything in between from good and bad and hard and beautiful and and really just a picture of um, Christ's love for us. So there's a lot a lot to say. And like yeah. Lindsay said, you can go back and listen if you're interested in kind of learning more about the logistical side of adoption. That was a, a episode we recorded. Um, about a year and a half ago. So you can go ahead and check that out. Um, just keep scrolling through until you find it. And you can also listen. We, As we were starting the podcast, we did some introductory episodes and you can learn a little bit more about how each of our families were formed. But on this episode, we have Kayla, Lindsay, and Shannon. So you can go back if you're a newer listener, check those out. Um, all of us are on Instagram. We are uh, our podcast is on Instagram, Upside Down Podcast, and we are on UpsideDownPodcast.com. On Instagram, I'm Kayla underscore Craig. You guys want to share yours in case somebody wants to peek in on all of your cute kiddos? 
Uh, yeah, I'm Shannon K. Evans. And I'm at like breaks forth. The best thing that you can do if the if you enjoy the conversations that we're having on here to support us is honestly go into iTunes and give us a review. Those help us get pushed to the top. More people can see us. We have a $0 marketing budget at the moment. So <laughs> those things really do help. And it's not just to, you know, help us toot our own horn, but it really helps us get the word out. And some of the coolest things that we hear is when listeners share the podcast or tag us when somebody says, what are you listening to lately? You know, just getting the word out and sharing is really really helpful to us. So leave a review. We'd love to, to, you know, read through, share them in upcoming episodes. Um, we're really grateful for your time of listening to the episode and then sharing with your friends and family. We super duper appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, come back again. Cause we have another great episode in the works that we're really excited to talk about. And you can find us, um, on Facebook upside down tribe, and you can, um, join kind of a community that we have or we can process some of these things. There's a lot of other adoptive families in there. There's a lot of people that are single or married and no kids that we're just kind of run the gamut, but there's a, it's a a pretty, wouldn't you guys say it's a pretty safe space to, to process questions or kind of get perspectives that you might not normally have. I love that group. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. So join us. We're there. We're excited to meet you and talk to you. And we'll see you again next time. Because. Oh, my gosh. Hello. Hello. Can anybody hear me? Lindsay, did we lose Kayla? Sure looks like it. It's weird. <laughs>